What's up, guys? This is Jacques. Welcome back to Politically Incorrect. First of all, thank you so much to everybody who has supported the podcast so far. Please make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes if you can. It makes a huge difference. I'm desperate to get into Apple's new and noteworthy section, so anything that you can do to help me with that would be very much appreciated. Also, you can follow me on social media at Pop Inc. Pod on Twitter and Instagram. I reply to every message, so hit me up. I've got a great show for you today. We are getting into some of the latest Bravo news and gossip. Uh, We're talking about the Bachelorette's Me Too moment, which is very interesting. Uh, I also have an amazing guest. Uh, It is a Housewives legend who I think you're going to be really excited to hear from. But first, let me just tell you how I was almost cancelled this week. So, you know that I talk a lot about cancel culture here. Well, earlier this week, I tweeted out a clip from the show from last week's episode. Now, if you heard last week's episode, you know that I went on kind of like this big rant about the Real Housewives of Orange County boycott, and I was basically calling out some of the hypocrisy and the selective outrage around it. Well, obviously, my podcast is new. I wanted to promote the episode, so I kind of took a... I guess it was sort of an inflammatory clip. I didn't really realize that it was that much so, but it was. Um, About a minute from the show, I tweeted it out uh, along with a link for the full episode. Like, you know, if you want to hear the full rant, like, click here for the full episode. Um, I naively thought that people would listen to the full episode to get the whole context of what I was saying. Of course, that didn't happen. So, I woke up the next morning with, like, all of these tweets just dragging me, lighting my ass up. Um, people had completely misinterpreted what I said. I mean, to the point that they actually thought that I'd said the opposite of what I really said. So that was a lot. I tried to clarify it, but it was like too much. So I just deleted the tweet and then I sent out one just explaining. Because, you know, if you heard the full episode last week, I was repeatedly like, you know, I support Black Lives Matter. I condemn the... uh you know, the racism and the problematic behavior on these shows and the COVID conspiracies and like the whole bit. I mean, I said it like 10 times, but the clip that I tweeted out didn't have those parts in and it was just sort of, um, I was just kind of complaining about the OC boycott. So, people totally misinterpreted it. And honestly, I couldn't even be mad at them because it was my own fault because I guess I tried to clickbait people and I naively thought that, you know, on Twitter that people were going to go and listen to the full episode, but at the end of the day, it's a new podcast. Most people don't know me. Most people are just scrolling through their timeline and sort of reacting to things really quickly and moving on. So, it was a lesson learned and it has made me aware of how, um, you know, obviously I have a lot of contrarian takes on things here. So, I was just thinking, you know, I really do need to be careful in the future because even though that one was my fault um, for taking myself out of context, people with, you know, negative intentions could try and take me out of context in the future. So, I was just, I don't know, I guess I'll just be really careful with how I word certain things because I definitely don't want that to happen. I definitely don't want, you know, any of my points misrepresented. Anyway, you can go back and listen to that full episode. I was calling out a lot of the hypocrisy uh, in some of the OC boycott stuff and, yes, condemning the problematic behavior on the network. But I'm going to get into a little bit of this actually with my guest later on. So, that's exciting. 
So there's a lot going on in the Bravo world right now. I think I'm going to save a lot of this for next week's episode and probably do like a more in-depth, like big reaction, big analysis, predictions, the whole bit. But uh, we've had the Southern Charm premiere. I will be recapping the show here and there uh, throughout the season. I'm actually not up to date with Southern Charm. Like I'm still a couple of seasons behind and I've been cramming it so I can cover it on the podcast. Uh, We have some... Real Housewives of Beverly Hills casting news. Kathy Hilton has joined as a friend and we have a new housewife. Um, Again, I'll get into that more next week. Also super exciting is the Real Housewives of Atlanta trailer dropped for the new season and it's really good. If you've been following all the blogs and everything, you'll know that there is a big scandal this season where Portia and Tanya, look, they... I don't know exactly what they did, but it's something about them having like a threesome with a stripper at Cynthia's bachelorette party, and then maybe Portia and Tanya hooked up together as well. I'm not completely across it, but obviously it's going to be great. They've teased it heavily in the trailer. Um, They're still filming the show as well, so I don't know. That could go... Uh, that storyline could go anywhere. I think I read on like media takeout that Tanya has actually stopped filming and she's threatening Bravo with legal, with legal action because she's denying that it took place. And so I don't know, look, we'll, I guess we'll find out if it really happened or if it's just shady editing from Bravo. Um, I will do a full breakdown of the Atlanta trailer next week with some predictions for the season. Just two things I want to say. Um, Nini is not on this season, and I'm so happy about it. Uh, the trailer looked so good without Nini. She was just such a cloud of negativity and toxicity, and I really think that the the cast are going to thrive without her and that the storylines will be better without her just kind of pulling the whole show down. So that's that's great. I'm really happy about that. Second thing is that with this whole Strippergate situation, uh, I'm going to have a hot take right now. I believe Portia knew exactly what was going on. She is very smart when it comes to what she does on camera. Um, She would not make a rookie mistake of, you know, being caught on her mic, hooking up with a stripper if she didn't want it out there. So, yeah, that's my take on that. She's very calculated, Portia. Don't let the cute face fool you. She knows exactly what she is doing. So, I'm going to get into that next week. Oh, also, Sheena from Vanderpump Rules is Preggers. That is amazing because she's like the fourth cast member from that show to get pregnant at the same time. So, we first we had Stasi, then Lala, then Brittany, now Sheena. Um, people think that they had a pregnancy pact. They probably did. <laughs> they probably did. Um, I love it. It's such a shame that they're not filming the show right now. I mean, imagine- if COVID hadn't happened and Stasi hadn't been cancelled, we would have had like four people on the same show pregnant at once, which I'm pretty sure has like never happened on any reality show. And then we would have seen like the other cast members like Katie and uh, Ariana, you know, and Kristen, you know, having to deal with that and how they would react to it. I think it would be really good. Also, I have seen the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City premiere. That is the brand new Real Housewives show. I don't know how much I can talk about it. Uh, Look, Bravo never give me screeners for anything. So the fact that they gave me a screener for this was very much appreciated from them. So I'm not going to spoil anything and get myself in trouble. All I will say is that it was really good. It definitely lives up to the hype. And um, how do I word this correctly? Some people have been upset with certain issues on the network and in the franchise, and I think that with Salt Lake City, they will be very happy because it is very modern and current and of the moment. Does that make sense? 
Um, basically, I'm trying to say it's a woke housewives, <laughs> um, but it's great. Uh, my favorite housewives already, just for the record, are Heather. And I really like Meredith. Um, really like Whitney. Mary's very entertaining. There is one housewife that a lot of people on Twitter have been standing already just because she's um, very out there, very vocal. Um, she's definitely very entertaining. I think she will be quite polarizing once the full season is out. And I don't know if everyone is going to be standing her as hard as they are now, but I guess we'll see. Like I said, she'll be very polarizing. I get a bit of a Leanne Locken type vibe from her. So anyway, look out for the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I will be recapping it once it premieres on the show. So yeah, that should be fun. So this current season of The Bachelorette US with Claire Crawley just keeps getting better and better with every single episode. I have been obsessed with the American Bachelor Bachelor franchise for maybe four to five years now. That's how long I've been watching consistently. And I'm telling you, each season, I think there's no way that they can outdo themselves. There's no way that they can do something new that's never been done before. And every single time they do, I don't know how they do it. They just pull something out that you've never seen, something crazy, something that you could never even script in your head. I'm telling you, the producers on this show are better than Bravo producers by miles. Also, uh, before I get into the recap, uh, I would just say if you are outside of America and you want to be able to watch the American Bachelor franchise, just go to Google, type in Bachelor Archive and uh, follow the next logical steps from there. I don't know if I'm allowed to plug something that um, might not be legal. So I'm just saying go to Google and just Google around, type in Bachelor Archive, and you may stumble upon some kind of website that allows you to watch every single episode of The Bachelor from every country ever. All right, now let's get into the recap. So I'm going to get right into this whole Me Too, Time's Up, Kissgate situation that went down on the episode, but I'm just going to fill you in on some of the drama that happened before we get into that, because it's kind of serious. So remember I told you last week about the naked dodgeball date that they went on and the guys were in jock straps and they had their dicks out and everything? Well, this guy, Yosef, he's a single dad, as he reminds everybody every five minutes. He wasn't on the date, but he basically had this huge meltdown over it uh, because he thought it was disgusting and he didn't like the nudity. Uh, He thought it was classless. At the start of the episode, he confronts Claire about it. Uh, It starts off really awkward because (laughs) he pulls her aside and he starts saying that it was appalling and uh, degrading and he would be ashamed if his family ever saw him do it. Now- he kind of did have a point. Like, it was pretty trashy. Like I said, everybody was naked and and running around. And I can understand if you wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. The date actually got a lot of backlash online from people who said it was um, sexually inappropriate or whatever. I didn't agree with them because I said this last week, but they always put the girls in sexy, weird dates where they have to catfight and mud wrestle and everything and do fashion shows, so I just thought this was evening the playing field a bit. But anyway, he is voicing his concerns. Claire tries to take it well at first. Um, She's trying to listen to what he has to say, and as he starts digging the hole deeper and deeper, her face is, like, getting angrier and angrier. She has, like, pursed lips. She kind of looks like if you've ever had to confront, like, a stern female boss or teacher with something awkward and you can see that they're infuriated and... They're sort of trying to be professional and listen to you, but they just want to kill you. That's the look that she has on her face. And I mean, he's going on and on and he just starts going like really crossing the line. He's like, 
That date was classless. I was appalled. I expected more from the oldest bachelorette that's ever been. I mean, he would not stop. He's like, I'm ashamed to be associated with you. It was, <laughs> it was relentless. It was, it was so full on. And uh, he also called out Claire to her face for over overreacting last week because if you remember. She um, had this big freak out because there had been like an awkward pause when when the group date was about to start and no one stepped up to pull her aside. And she sort of had this weird insecure meltdown over it. So he calls her out on that. Um, eventually, she stands up for herself and she loses it and she starts giving it to him and she's, you know, waving her finger in his face and she goes, I would never want Yosef to be the father of my children. You know, that was her famous line from uh, her season of The Bachelor with Juan Pablo years ago. So that was, it It just goes completely off the rails. So she storms off in tears. And as she's walking off, and I think she's she's storming off one direction, he's storming off another direction, and he's like heckling her. I mean, like he's shouting, he's like, you're completely classless, <laughs> you're almost 40, you're the oldest bachelorette ever. I mean, the age shaming is full on. Like, she's 39, okay, is 39 a spring chicken? No. Does it mean you're a fucking golden girl? Of course not. Like, she is a fit, healthy, um attractive, vibrant 39-year-old woman, and <laughs> he's acting like 40. He's acting like she's like the the monster from Tales from the Crypt or something. Anyway, um, I did feel bad for her because it was horrible, but, I mean, it was horrible for her. It was good for us. Um, it's just complete browbeating her. Um, and then, of course, Dale swoops in to save the day. Uh, Dale is the guy that she's obsessed with, uh, you will remember if you've seen any of the spoilers or if you've if you've listened to my previous recaps of this that she actually she leaves the show next week uh with Dale. It's never happened before. They run off together. I don't know what happened to them, but they replace her with a new bachelorette. Anyway, he swoops in, he like he's holding her and uh stroking her hair and she's sobbing and she's talking about how she's, you know, always needed a man to protect her and that, you know, Dale's that guy and he's he's coming on his, you know, the knight in shining armor and it's very full on from her side. Like I <laughs> I understand she's shaken from Yosef, you know, verbally abusing her, of course. That is a lot to deal with, but She's basically acting like Liam Neeson just saved her from terrorists in Taken. I mean, it's very over the top. Uh, And then she admits that she's falling in love with Dale. Now, keep in mind, they haven't even had their second rose ceremony yet. This is episode three. The first episode was basically just introduction. So it's been like less than a week and she's saying that she's falling in love with Dale, which fuels the speculation that she and Dale were speaking on the outside. Uh, Again, if you've been keeping up with the show, you know that they started, they were about to start filming, then COVID happened, they had to shut down production for a few months, and the conspiracy theory going around is that she and Dale were sliding into each other's DMs and that they were having some, you know, like a texting relationship all this time, and there's been a huge build-up, and now that they're on the show, that they're just kind of acting, uh, I guess, finally being together after all of this build-up. So, I'm starting to really think that that is what happened, because I don't know how you can fall in love with someone that quickly, although I probably could, I don't know. We'll see. I'm sure we're going to find out. I think they're confronting her over it next week. So, 
The rest of the episode is all about Claire being obsessed with Dale and not caring about any of the other guys. At one point, she picks up <laughs> she picks up Dale's pants and sniffs them. Her nose is in the crotch area, I believe, and um, then she admits that she slept with his pants on her face all night. <laughs> now, look, I would probably do this too. I can't judge. Dale is very attractive. I would also probably like to sniff his pants, but... Why were his pants even in her hotel room in the first place? Did he sneak in for a quickie or something when we didn't know? That wasn't explained to me. I did not understand why his pants were in her hotel room. Speaking of quickies, at the cocktail party later on, Dale whisks her off. He says, guys, look, I'm just going to take her away for five minutes. Uh, the five minutes turns into an hour and they're like dry humping and grinding on each other in Claire's room. It's kind of hot, but... It's also really cringy and awkward because all the other guys are just standing outside like crickets and she's in there like moaning and like he's on top of her like legs akimbo. It's like it's a whole scene. It looked like a porno. She even says something about um, this is so hard. I don't know if she was what she was referring to there. I don't know if she was talking about he's got a big woody. I don't know if they just meant it's hard that we can't go the full mile, but it was very steamy. And then some guys are like knocking on the door trying to come in and it's just, it was a lot. Okay. So now we're going to get into this whole me too thing. So the next day she goes on a date with this other guy named Zach. Now I don't think she really wanted to go on this date. I don't think she cared, but the producers obviously made her, of course, as part of the show, you go on dates with different people usually, and then you sort of fall in love with one of them towards the end. Uh, She's clearly obsessed with Dale, but I guess they were just like, look, let's just give it one last shot and, and let's put her with someone else and see what happens. And during this date, something maybe possibly sexual assaulty happens. Um, now, first of all, I'll just say, watch this scene to make up your own minds and have your own take on this because the first time I watched it, I had one view of the scene and then I rewatched it again before doing this recap and I saw it in a completely different light. So I definitely advise you to watch it for yourself to figure it out. So what happens is they go on some boring spa day together. I wasn't really paying attention to that. Uh, after they go to the spa, they're in a pool together and she leans in to kiss him right at the end of the date. And then for some reason, when she's like one centimeter away from his lips, she just like pulls the brakes. I don't understand why. And neither does Zach. He's totally confused in the moment. And then he gets a bit handsy with her because she's sort of trying to exit the pool. And then I think he puts a hand on her neck, not like grabbing her neck, but just sort of, or maybe on her shoulder. And then he sort of puts a hand on her stomach and he's just a bit like, wait, what happened? You know, I thought we were about to kiss. You know, I don't get it. And she's just like, oh, it's it's nothing. Let's just go to dinner. She's trying to brush him off. She's trying to get out of the pool as fast as possible. And keep in mind, she leaned in to kiss him. So imagine you're on a date with someone. It's going well. They lean in to kiss you. Your lips are about to connect. And then suddenly they recoil. And it's like, <laughs> you'd be thinking like, oh my God, like, is my breath bad? Like, what's going on? So they get out of the pool and then he's still trying to get clarification because he's really confused because it is very awkward. And he goes like, I was trying to kiss her and I th- I was trying to kiss you, sorry. And then he puts his hand on, it looks like he puts his hand on her neck. And I don't know, okay, I don't know if he is trying to pull her in for a kiss in that moment or if he put it there to demonstrate like, this is what I was doing in the pool and then you stopped it. 
Does that make sense? I don't know if it was like a, a demonstration of, no, this is what happened so they can understand what happened in the pool or if he's trying to grab her in to kiss her again. I couldn't tell, but she looks very freaked out and sort of nervous and she's just trying to, and it's very awkward as well on top of that. And she like sort of just wraps it up and goes back to her bedroom and then she's in her room and... um. The way they filmed this, look, I don't know how upset she was because, look, there's a lot of editing in The Bachelor, but she's in her room and she's, like, clutching her dogs and she's sitting on the ground and then there's a voiceover of her saying that she felt triggered and scared. And, um, like, the way they edit it looks like she's been, like, attacked or something. Like, it's very full on. It's... um. So, look, I don't know if that's out of context, but she's explaining the situation in a voiceover, and she says that Zach went in for the kiss. No, no, sorry. She says she went in for the kiss, which she did, and then she says that Zach pulled away, which he did not. If you look at the scene, he did not pull away at all. She leaned in, and then she stopped and pulled away. Then she says that he grabbed her, which he did, and that it triggered and scared her. After that, we're going on to the next portion of the date, which is, so their their spa date was during the day and now it's at night and they're supposed to have like a one-on-one candlelit dinner. And this is usually the scene where they have a more intimate conversation and get to know each other on a deeper level. The day dates are usually more about like fun and doing an activity. So he's waiting for her to show up. And then the host, Chris Chris Harrison comes and kicks him off the show. He's just like, look, something happened. Zach obviously knows what it's about. And he's like, look, dude, it was like a misunderstanding. He looks kind of terrified. I mean, can you imagine, right, you go on a show, one of the biggest show, biggest reality shows on TV, where in the Me Too era where anything that is like a physical contact or could look possibly like assault, you know, we're looking at that kind of stuff under a microscope and analyzing it and we're all very sensitive to that stuff. He looks a bit like, oh, you know, oh, fuck, like, what have I done? Like, am I going to look like a rapist on TV on The Fucking Bachelor? So, um, the first time I watched this scene, right, when I was watching it live at the, well, not live, but when I was watching it, you know, the night that it aired, I had a really, I had a strong reaction. I thought he was totally in the wrong. When I saw him kind of put his hands on her, I was like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, you know, get your hands off her. That's not cool. It's too handsy. But then when I watched it, when I watched it more closely and then I saw, hang on, she leaned into the kiss. She gave the green light that, hey, we're about to kiss. And then she just suddenly stopped right before they kissed. And then he's kind of confused and he's trying to work it out. It really just looked like a case of mixed signals. Um, was he a bit too handsy overall? Yes. Was she too sensitive and sending out mixed signals? Yes. I can see where they were. They were both kind of wrong. And again, I felt really bad for him because... The Bachelor Nation fandom is one of the most sensitive, militant reality TV fandoms online. Like, you know how there's kind of a, you know, there's that stereotype about, like, um, snowflakes that are, you know, outraged by everything and they're, like, digging up your old tweets and they're always looking for an excuse to be offended and to cancel someone? That's literally Bachelor Nation. That's the Bachelor fandom. If you go on the Bachelor Reddit... I mean, every day it's just like a mega thread of like, this contestant's racist, this contestant did that. So, you know, I was thinking when I'm watching it in the moment, I'm like, oh my God, this guy is going to get completely annihilated by Bachelor Nation because they just love to come after people and cancel people and turn little things into big things. 
But surprisingly, a lot of people were on his side, which I could not believe. That was shocking to me that so many people are taking his side. And, you know, Claire is a very, very unpopular bachelorette and uh, people are actually demonizing her. Like I said, I don't really think either of them are in the wrong. I think it was a misunderstanding. You know, this happens on dates. Wires can be crossed and that's all I think it is. But anyway, here are some of the tweets that uh, I saw. Claire is trying to paint Zach Jay as an abusive person because she thought he didn't want to kiss her. It's absurd and I'm shocked more people are not talking about it. That was one tweet. Someone else said, Zach was not pulling away from Claire. The photo shows he was responding to her. She imagines things because she's so insecure and needy. I kind of agree with that. She is very insecure and needy. However, Reality Steve is Team Claire. If you know who, if you watch The Bachelor, you'll know who Reality Steve is. He's basically the number one kind of like podcaster, commentator in all of The Bachelor fandom. He has all the spoilers. Um, he is a bit of a negative Nancy sometimes. He's a bit of a sensitive Sally. He likes to um, get upset about things in the way that Bachelor Nation tends to do. So he tweeted, this is absolutely not acceptable Dude, whether you were trying to kiss her or not, I cannot believe he put his hands on her twice like that. And Zach actually responded to this tweet. He wrote, was my hand on her? Absolutely. Did I pull her? Absolutely not. I'm 5'11", 200 pounds, and if I pulled her, she would have moved. I was simply trying to let her know that I didn't pull away. Also, it's a show and you missed a lot of our other interactions, but we can't talk about those. So, look... That's their sides about it. Um, I think just lay off both of them. It was a misunderstanding. Stop villainizing Claire. She felt how she felt about it. He was a bit too handsy. Um, You know, especially in this time, we know to be careful. And you've got TV cameras on you as well. So he should have been a bit more mindful. Um, Did she send out mixed signals big time and scramble his brains a little bit? And was she a bit too sensitive and is she maybe excited to kind of just find excuses to get rid of all the guys so she can spend more time with Dale? Yes. So anyway, that's done. Please tell me what you think about that. Um, hit me up on Instagram, Pod or Twitter, Pod. I reply to everybody. I want to know your take on this. So the rest of the date, um, they go to a comedy roast with Margaret Cho. Uh, every guy gets up and roasts Dale. I mean, there's this one guy, Bennett. He's kind of a fan favorite. He looks like Clark Kent. Uh, he didn't even they were he didn't even make jokes about Dale. He just shat on Dale the entire roast. Um, and look, I agree with these guys. I think Dale is such a smooth talking phony. He just panders and plays up to the cameras, and he's super cringe, but. Whether that's fake or that's just who he is, I it's hard to tell. I mean, The Bachelor attracts a lot of these people. There's two kind of characters you get on The Bachelor. It's either, like I said, the, the smooth talker that says all the right things and is, like, really just kind of, like, cheesy and cringy, or you get the, like, the emotionally stunted mental cases that make all the drama. It's sort of just one or two, one of those two that get on The Bachelor. So, um... Anyway, Dale is very hot, though. I can see why Clara is into him. I mean, he looks like a model. The rest of the date after the roast, it's a group date uh, at, like, a, a cocktail party, and Claire literally pulls every single guy aside, and she only talks about Dale. Like, the guys are like, oh, look, you know, I think Dale's had enough airtime. Let's talk about you and me. And she's just like, so why were you roasting Dale? Did Dale say he's the front runner? What does Dale say about me? Dale, Dale, Dale. Like, it's so funny. She will not shut up about Dale. I mean, 
It's kind of like that old cliche of when you go on a date with someone and they're, all they'll talk about is their ex. That's what she was doing the, the entire night. And then at the end of the date, she doesn't give any of the guys a rose. Like, what you're supposed to do in these situations is um, you chat with all the guys, you spend some time with them, whoever stands out the most to you, you give them a rose, and then they're safe at the next rose ceremony. She gives the rose to herself and then they play footage of her, like they break the fourth wall and they pay, play footage of her bitching to her producers about how the guys were roasting Dale. And she's like, um, that was not cool. Dale's my fiance. Yeah, fiance. Okay. This is the third episode. All right. And she's apparently engaged to Dale. So again, that further fuels this theory that she was already talking to Dale. It's just, it's pretty juicy. So. Next week, it's all coming to a head. They're getting rid of Dale. Um, They're getting rid of Dale and Claire. So they're gone and they're going to confront it. Um, They're going to take Claire to task and make her address whether she did know Dale before filming. So we can't wait for that. And the new Bachelorette, Tasia, is coming on. Um, They did this amazing promo of Tasia. It's like Christopher Nolan music and she's getting out of a pool in slow motion like Denise Richards in Wild Things. And she looks incredible. And I'm so excited. Um, Rachel Lindsay wasn't happy about Tasia's promo. She's kind of offended about this. So I'm going to push back on it a little. So if you don't know who Rachel Lindsay is, she was the first ever black bachelorette a few seasons ago. Uh, Tasia will be the second. Rachel is a huge voice in Bachelor Nation. I think she does the official Bachelor podcast. She's always in the media talking about, um, Bachelor. She's very outspoken and opinionated on everything. Sometimes I love her opinions. Sometimes I hate them. Uh, I think a lot of people, she's polarizing. Um, I think she can be really annoying sometimes, but at the end of the day, I do like some of the the social issues she talks about. Um, you know, I love the Black Lives Matter stuff she talks about. And, you know, I just respect people that are opinionated and aren't scared to ruffle feathers because I'm like that. So, even if I don't agree with them, it's, you know, a quality that I, that I appreciate in others. So, she came out and, I don't know, it was on Instagram or something, and she was complaining that Tasia was over-sexualized in the intro and she either said it was racist or she implied that it was racist because she said that black women are constantly over-sexualized in pop culture. And then she pointed out, you know, to make a point and compare, she said that the other women who are the Bachelorette, they get like Cinderella-style promos and intros where they're in ball gowns and they're getting out of limos, whereas with Tasia, she's in, you know, a bikini getting out of a pool. Now, look, normally I would agree with Rachel, but keep this in mind, all right? They filmed The Bachelorette this year in lockdown on a closed set at the La Quinta Resort in the middle of the Californian desert during summer. One of the producers was just on Nick Files' podcast, and he said that it was so hot during filming that the cast and crew, they wouldn't even go out and do anything social together until, like, 9 p.m. at night because it was was just too hot to do anything. So, like, come on, Rachel. This isn't a normal season. Um, First of all, they're limited where they can film. They can only do so much inside of, you know, one resort near Palm Springs. Uh, Tasia's gate crashing the show mid-season. This wasn't planned. I mean, Claire's supposed to be the Bachelorette, so we couldn't have foreseen what was happening with Claire, so they don't have as much time to put together an intro for Tasia. And they're filming at a resort. Like, it makes sense for Tasia to get out of the pool in a bikini. And I'm sure that if you, you even asked Tasia herself, she would go, fuck yeah, I'd rather be in the pool in my bikini instead of 
in the middle of the day in the hot summer, stuffed inside an unair conditioned limousine in a ball gown, getting out, you know, 10 times to do the take from 10 different angles. Uh, I'm completely confident that if it was a white bachelorette that was replacing Claire, she would have had the same pool entrance. So I think Rachel's just jumping the gun on that one a little bit. She tends to find things to be upset (laughs) with a lot, just like Reality Steve does as well, just like many people in Bachelor Nation do. That's kind of one of the frustrating things about the fandom. It's a lot of, um, it's not so much enjoying the show. It's a lot of like, you know, what can we find that's problematic about The Bachelor and complain about it? That's a lot of the Bachelor fandom, but whatever. Still love it. Still watch every single version of the show. Uh, You can still watch it. Remember, Google Bachelor Archive, you'll find it. Now, let's get on to my amazing guest. Uh, I have an incredibly fabulous guest this week. She is an actress, an author, a skincare mogul. She knows what a plumeria tree is. (laughs) She's... (laughs) She's one of the greatest OC housewives ever, and she's the host of the Heather Dubrow's World Podcast with more than 100 million downloads. Welcome to the show, Heather Dubrow. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh my God, that's so funny with the plumeria tree. I forgot about that entirely. Oh, trust me, I'm going to remind you a lot of these <laughs> throughout the All interview. right, I love it. I loved your Halloween costume, by the way, the, uh, the schoolgirl outfit. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, What happened was I'm usually like, I love Halloween and I love dressing up. And some years, you know, we go all out and some years it's like, eh, throw on a pair of ears and, you know, paint some whiskers and call it a day. The last few years though, I've done like these last minute costumes that ended up being so cool that now I have to like keep up with it. Right. And this year I literally, I had my Christmas lights put up two weeks ago. And, um, I just wanted to sort of skip over Halloween because I just feel like this year has been so scary. Why are we even doing this? But you know, the kids, whatever. And so my youngest, you know, Coco, she wanted to dress up and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So I was like, what am I going to be? And I literally, we were leaving in a half an hour. I had nothing to wear. I went into my daughter Max's closet and I go, can I just put on your uniform from school? And she was like, okay. And that was it. The costume was born. Well, you looked amazing. Thank you. Um, You know, it's so funny because I was so nervous to reach out to you for the interview because obviously, you know, I watched you on The Housewives and I was like, oh my God, it's, you know, it's Fancy Pants Champs. And I was thinking, oh, she'll never do my show. And then I reached out. And the funny thing is like, it could not have been easier. Like you were so nice. You were responding to my email straight away. Like, yeah, let's do it. You know, so down to earth. And I was thinking, you must get that a lot. Like you must get people that watched you on The Housewives and they think, oh, she's going to be this diva. And then they meet you and it's like, you're so down to earth and it's completely different. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, Two things. First of all, yeah, that happens. And I get it. You know, of course I get it. But that's one of the reasons why um, I started my podcast five years ago is because, you know, it, it was a direct connection to my audience base, you know, to my community and, and let them know who I am, you know, all the time and, and sort of unfiltered and the rawer version of myself. And I'll also tell you that I get reached out to a lot to do people's um, shows and podcasts and whatnot. And when I can, I love to do other people's shows. I, I love 
podcasting. I love how all these different platforms that we have now and different ways to make content. And honestly, if I was, I, for me, I had a leg up. I was on a TV show. So for me to get into a podcast, I had a built-in listenership. Now I had to maintain it, build it, grow it, all that, but I understand how difficult that could be. So if I can help you, I mean, you're already huge. I don't need to help you, but I mean, if someone <laughs> like, I, but I get requests sometimes from people who are just starting out or whatever. I really just try to do everything I can. Well, you know, that's amazing. And also you were like, I think maybe you were the second housewife to get into podcasting. I think Brandy was the first. So you got in there early. Yeah. I can't remember if Brandy had her show before I did it. If she did, I think we were kind of around the same time, but yeah, it was, it was, we started podcasting mm-hmm. around Brandy and myself and the girls that are on the lady gang. I would say all of us around the same time really started our shows. And, and I love that. It, I mean, it's been so great. Yeah. So how did you, how did you grow up? Like going back, were you, was it like fancy upbringing? Was it normal? Like what's the story there? (laughs) I was really down the middle. I have to tell you. I mean, sometimes Terry and I will look at each other and look at our house and our kids and the lives they're leading. I'm like, I didn't have this. And he's like, I didn't have this either. My dad was an attorney and then went into the business side of things in his company and so, um, we, we were very comfortable, you know, we weren't gazillionaires or anything. We didn't have Mercedes or stuff like that, but we always had a really beautiful home, nice clothes. Like we really didn't want for anything. We were, we, we had a very, very nice life, summer camp and, you know, all that and kind of thing. Of course, long before you did reality TV, you're a successful actress. You're on tons of shows. I mean, you've worked with like Neil Patrick Harris and all these people. Before that, was your you did beauty pageants, right? Was that like your first kind of entry, like into sort of performing, like the beauty pageant world? So I was a musical theater major in college. So I had always been acting and singing and dancing, and I was a musical theater major. And I went to Syracuse University in New York, and. Vanessa Williams, who I grew up with her brother, her younger brother, um, she had won, obviously, Miss America, but she was Miss Syracuse and then Miss New York and then Miss America. And that's sort of the the path that you take to get there. So, And she was in the musical theater department at Syracuse. So after she won, it was kind of a thing. If you were a musical theater person at Syracuse, you entered the, the Miss Syracuse pageant. And the other thing is, you know, it was such a goal to be able to sing on TV. It wasn't like now. I mean, the only thing we had back then was star search. We didn't have, you know, America's got talent and American idol and all these, you know, all these different places Mm -hmm. where you could be showcased singing. It was star search or get on uh, top 10 Miss America and be seen singing on television. Were you, was that the plan for you? Were you thinking you want to be a singer, but you know, in Broadway or something, or were you thinking acting or was it just anything? Yeah, no, I always thought I was going to do Broadway. That was always my goal. It was always what I wanted to do. And what happened was I graduated Syracuse and I was looking for apartments in Manhattan with my girlfriend, Jill. And I got cast onto a couple of episodes of this show called Divorce Court, where they reenact divorces. By the way, the worst acting I've ever done. I still to this day cannot believe that Andy Cohen has not found footage of this to use on Watch What Happens Live. It's supposed to be a reality show. It's meant to be like reality, isn't it? Divorce Court? At that time, I don't know what it is now, but at that time it was a recreation show. Oh, okay, yeah. So They they used to be really big back in the day. Yeah, so they would take these cases and you would, you know, reenact them. So I was like an agoraphobic lesbian be an ex-ballerina in one of them. And it was just, it was crazy. 
those producers flew me out to Los Angeles. We went and shot that in Florida. I went back to New York and then they called me and they said, you know, we're doing this project. We think you'd be great for, and they flew me out to LA and they put me up at the Beverly Hilton and my sister came with me and, uh, I was like, wow, I, you know, that project didn't end up going, but I thought, you know, I can always go back to New York. Why don't I just try it here for a few years and see what happens? And that's what I did. We moved here. I got a job singing at Disneyland and then I met this guy and we put together a 14 piece big band and I toured with them for four years. And that's basically how I made money while I was, you know, working on being an actress and, you know, getting better agents and little gigs and better jobs. And that's kind of how it all happened. So how old were you once you started like booking acting gigs? I think I might be wrong. Was your first proper acting gig was like um, Married with Children? So Married with Children, I'm going to say was my first, like other than divorce court, right? No, I think I had, I had a few lines on the bold and the beautiful uh, in there somewhere. Also, I'm not exactly sure, but Married with Children was like the first uh, time that I had like a lot of lines in a row <laughs> and you could definitely tell it was me and they were so nice. I have to tell you, like it would, that show had been on for so long when I was on it, they couldn't have been nicer. David Faustino and, and Ed and, um, uh, uh, Christina Applegate is the loveliest girl ever. And they were just so kind. And I was just at this little part. Everyone was just so nice. What what was it like being a young actress in Hollywood at the at that time? Because you know, I think now with like Me Too and everything, we're always hearing these stories of like you know the seedy underbelly and stuff. Were you was it smooth sailing for you, or were you kind of like dodging creepy casting producers every second day? Yeah, I think the problem is when you're young and you're starting out, like you're saying, it, it's it's scary, and and you say yes to everything, right? And so you've got these agents. You start out with these like really crappy agents that'll send you on anything and they probably isn't even checked or whatever. And so, um, I remember going on this one call and they wanted like a spokesperson model to represent this company. And it was like a, like a, I don't remember the company, but it was more like a tech company or like a paperclip company. Or I mean, it was like something like this, something very not sexy. Okay. And so I, but I remember going and they had you bring three outfits and you had to bring a swimsuit, which I thought was kind of weird, but I'm like, okay. And so, but I go there and it was this one creepy job of the hut type guy. And as secure as I am and as smart as I am, I literally put on every outfit paraded in front of the guy changed the outfit in the bathroom, came back, sat down in front of him. He was giving me this whole speech and then started showing me photos of his previous hosts. Like uh, now I'm looking on yachts with, you know, scantily clad with him there and the whole, and I'm, and I'm trying to assimilate because I couldn't literally couldn't believe it was happening. And eventually I left and then they called and offered me the job and I declined but I was so horrified that I had put myself in this position and that I didn't immediately leave. And I was so, you know, you're young and you're, you're kind of dumb and scared and you don't make the best decisions. So thankfully nothing happened though. Other than that, I got very lucky. That That's so interesting that you say that because people do look at you now as like no nonsense and so self-assured and, you know, so smart and everything. And then to think that even somebody like you, when you're in that situation, it can 
like you said, it's like you're young and naive and you kind of, it's hard to say no once you're in it. Oh, totally. And I also remember there was a time like we were in Manhattan. So this is right before college, the summer before college. And my mom found this photographer to do like pictures for me because I needed a headshot and maybe do a portfolio and something like that. So I went in there and it was seemed very safe. So it was this guy photographer and he had all these girls around, like nice girls, like helping you out. Like, oh, you look beautiful, cheering you on while they're taking the pictures and, you know, being your fans and everything. So you feel like a million bucks and all that. And then I went back to have something else done. And he was like, why do you always bring your mom? You know, you're a grown person. You should just come and, you know, whatever. And the girls are all here. And like, he was really vibing me to go there. And I, I remember saying to my mom, like, he wants me to come. Like, but she goes, absolutely not. I was 17. She's like, absolutely not. You're not doing that. Anyway, that guy ended up being murdered <gasps> by some woman's husband that he had accosted in that studio. Oh my God. That is insane. Is that crazy? Thank God my mother didn't let me go. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's amazing as well that your mother was like that because I can just imagine like with Hollywood, all of the showbiz parents that are like, oh, yeah, is that an opportunity? Go ahead. You know, so. Oh, I have a crazy Jewish mother. No, she was like locking me in the house. (laughs) (laughs) So um, would you say that the like Jenny McCarthy's sitcom, was that kind of like your, you consider like your big, big break? Yeah, that's so funny. I was just texting with her because it's her birthday today. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, So. So my first, uh, that was a big break. So right before that, I had been on this show called Life with Roger on the WB and I got a recurring, I went on for a one episode and they liked me and they kept bringing me back. So I ended up being in almost every episode of the show that year and it was really cool. And so that, I feel like that's what, and that's when I met Terry was that year. And and that's what I felt like I, I had started getting momentum, you know? And so because of that, that pilot season where they cast all the new shows, I literally like had every show there, like, what do you want to do? And it was pretty cool. And it was funny because at the time I said to my agent, I go, I knew that Jenny McCarthy had a, a deal uh, with, uh, with NBC. And I was like, you know, I just don't think that that would be the right show for me. And they're like, well, go take the meeting and see how it is. I walked in and I met Jenny and I fell in love with her. I will tell you, out of everyone I've worked with, she is the most generous, the kindest, the most fun, the best. I just love her. Love, love, you know, love her. I wanted to ask you about Jenny because that you must have kind of been so excited to, to do a show with her because, like, for the younger listeners that don't remember, Jenny McCarthy in the mid-'90s was, like, the – like, she was a total superstar. She had the MTV show. She mm-hmm. was, like – all over Playboy. She had the can remember the Candies commercial where she's, where she's on, the, on the, toilet? the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. Well. But and not only that, and this was that exact time. So what was interesting about that time in Jenny's life, she was on the cover of Time magazine. She was on the cover of Rolling Stone. She was everywhere. She was the it girl. And let, let me just explain her character. So I'm playing her sidekick, you know, I'm like the Laverne to her Shirley, right? So we <laughs> so we go to New York. So when your show gets picked up, you go to New York and you go to the upfronts. It's what it's called, where each of the networks throws this huge like thing to announce their new shows. And they have all the advertisers are there and there's parties and like, but you're at the Met, you're at Carnegie Hall, you're at these huge venues. So we pull up and the red carpet's out in front, right? So we pull up in the front And she gets out of her limo and I happen to show up right after her and I get out of mine. Now, I, she could have just walked to the red carpet and done her thing, whatever. 
she sees me. She's so excited to see me. And she, we hug each other. And cause now the pilot's been shot, the show is picked up and this is the moment they're announcing it to the world here. It's going to be on this night at this time. She puts her hands around me and goes, come with me. And she walks me down the entire red carpet and goes, have you met my co-star Heather Page Kent? To wow. every single news outlet. I mean, people don't do that. It was just that- so kind and generous. And I was so scared and excited and had never walked a red carpet before. And it was amazing. That is so rare because any any type of media, like even like journalism and, and stuff that I'm in, everyone is always sort of trying to get over someone to to get to the top. And then once they have an opportunity, they're scared that somebody else is going to take that. So they don't really, you know, put people on and help people. So that's, that's, that's like amazing of her was once you were on that show and you were with her, was it kind of like a new part of Hollywood opened up to you in that, like you could get into any party and, you know, like that. Well, you know, I've always been cognizant of the fact that even though I've had some nice successes, you know, I, you know, I've never had lightning strike. I'm not, you know, the Kardashians, I'm not Madonna. That's okay. I have like a nice kind of fame. It's, you can get in places at the, at the restaurant, but like, you don't need a bodyguard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at that time, what was cool is Jenny and I had so much fun together and her boyfriend at the time and Terry became really close also. And so we would literally spend every day together working on the set and we're in every scene together. And, and then we have lunch together and then we'd go out together on the weekends every weekend. Like we were so just like together all the time. It was so fun. We just had, it, I just remember that all that time just being like such a fun, fun experience. Did Jenny ever try and get you to do Playboy? Like, no, did she ever suggest it to you? No. <laughs> did you ever consider it? No, no one wants to see this. Come on. <laughs> I miss the Playboy days. I always thought it was so exciting, like, growing up, seeing who would do it. Now it's like everyone's naked on OnlyFans. It's just not special anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They've really made it very pedestrian, haven't they? <laughs> they have. Um, so Terry got into reality TV before you. Um, he was doing The Swan and Bridal Plasty. For people that don't remember, The Swan was kind of like this crazy, like a plastic surgery beauty pageant. Mm-hmm. What did you think when he came when he came home and he goes, you know, <laughs> babe, I've been offered this show, this, this show, The Swan? Well, I mean, I thought it was just crazy. So to your point, so so where, where I was in my life was – um, I, so I did Jenny and I did all these Star Gravy Mad and all these other shows, whatever. And then I had a show called That's Life, which was about a big Italian family that I starred in. And Paul Sorvino played my dad and Ellen Burstyn played my mom and Debbie Mazar was there. She played my friend and Kevin Dillon. It was this really beautiful ensemble show that was just like everything I ever wanted to do. I sang the theme song. I was working with Oscar and Emmy winners and Tony winners. And I was totally thought I was in over my head when I started because I was like a half hour sitcom chick. I was the funny brunette. And now all of a sudden I'm doing this hour long, you know, dramedy and everything, but it was great. I mean, some of the best times ever with this, with this cast and this crew. So it went on for two years, it got canceled. And that's when we kind of started our IVF journey and I got pregnant so I was pregnant with the twins when Terry took on the swan. So you understand that for me, it was the most bizarre period of time. And honestly, everything went, everything since has been bizarre. So I went from being like a full-time working person on a set, 17 hours a day, to all of a sudden, I'm now pregnant with twins doing 
nothing. And my husband is doing this crazy reality show. <laughs> and, I, you know, I went to the set a couple of times. It was just, it was insane. I was, but I had no idea how people were going to handle this show. Well, it was so it was so controversial, and it was a strange time. I think people don't remember reality TV was TV was starting out, and they were kind of trying any concept you could think of. There was like nothing too crazy, nothing too far. Did did um Terry recognize the show as a, a platform? Like you know, obviously, is him being a, a plastic surgeon, or was it just kind of like let's just try something different and new? No, everything was a platform. I mean, you have to realize, like you're saying, so there used to be just a few channels on television, right? <laughs> And so even then, I mean, this is now how many years ago? I mean, this is like 17 years ago or something, 15 years ago. And so, um, you know, just like I was talking before about how you, you know, in my day, you could only go to Star Search or Miss America pageant. For a doctor, you could get an article in a magazine. Maybe you'd get on like a local news program or something. um, And that would make you kind of famous. But the other way, the new way of getting famous and putting your brand out there was reality television. And for him to be a doctor on a show like Dr. 90210 or one of those shows, this is the way that you became known. So, um, yeah, he took, but he didn't see it at the time as like, great. And I'm going to have a skincare line and we're going to write books. And we're to him. It was like, this just means patients walking in the door. And it did. And when um so you go on Orange County eventually, we all know the story of that Terry convinced you to do it because you didn't want to do it, and you've always said that you thought it was like a Christopher Guest movie mm-hmm. when you saw the the scene of Tamara throwing the wine. I mean, I was thinking about it. Isn't it still kind of like a Christopher Guest movie? Because really, you put in these situations, and it's like, okay, I mean, it's not scripted. It's like you're improving, but it's a bit like, all right, well. So and so didn't show up to your party. Go to lunch, talk about it, and we'll see what happens. Is that what it's like? I mean, kind of, yeah. But the truth is, you're like in a bubble. Like, did you ever go to summer camp? Yeah, I did. Okay, sleepaway. Um, yes. Okay, so this is how I'll compare it. If you're on a set somewhere, or if you're at sleepaway camp, you, you you're like in a bubble. Like, do you remember being in that bubble of sleepaway camp and like? People would date each other at sleepaway camp that would never mm-hmm. even look at each other, like in their hometowns. You know what I'm saying? But like that yep. guy who's maybe like a geek at his hometown is now the Mr. Stud Muffin of Camp Hiawatha. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's the kind of things that happen. You're in a bubble. You act differently. You feel differently. Things happen. So I, I feel like with the, with the reality shows, it's kind of the same thing. You're in a bubble. So things become more important and you, you react differently to things and you, you want to talk about things because it's on your mind and it's all you're talking about. Yeah. Well, the first, I think the first big fight that you were present for was the Bunko party fight with Vicky and Gretchen screaming at each other. And your face in that scene is priceless because you're just like your jaws on the floor. What are you thinking when you get there and then you see literally like Vicky leaning over, like, you know, you're not a mother screaming dressed as some eighties rocker and Gretchen giving it back to her. You must've thought that you were like, what have I got myself into? It was surreal. I mean, Surreal. So everyone's dry. And I really, I never watched the show. I told you, I think a long yep. time ago, but I'd never yeah. watched the show, but I knew Beverly Hills. So I understood the format of it, but they don't fight the same way in Beverly. Maybe yeah, they do different. now, but at it's, that they're time. They're more passive aggressive. On yes. Yes. And especially back then. So, um, I, so we're all dressed up thinking cute, you know, 
80s party, Bunko. Terry comes dressed as his brother. It's kind of funny. I did the Robert Palmer thing. And it literally went from zero to 60. What's that thing on Terry's car, the Tesla? What's that mode? The ludicrous mode. It was like <laughs> ludicrous launch mode. I mean, one minute, everyone's rolling dice and fine. And the next minute, literally, like on a dime, they're screaming at each other. I, <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. When you go home that night, are you thinking this is going to be like great TV? This is awesome. Or are you thinking like, oh my God, this is like, get me out of here. What have I done? I was horrified. Horrified. I was like, I I just can't believe that they're okay doing this on television and that their kids are going to see this and their grandkids. And is this okay? And then what you learn is, you know, you get very comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you still never really had... I don't think you ever took it to that level of screaming and stuff. You never really like lost control no, for the most but, part. But, well, I, I think I wasn't that happy at the sushi dinner that last season. Uh, yeah. yeah. We're going to get to the sushi dinner. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, so can you give any insight into, into Gretchen leaving? Because I, you know, I'm a big fan of Orange County and I think they make a lot of strange casting decisions. Yeah. Um, you and Tamara leaving, that's one that I'm like, wait, what? Me yeah. <laughs> too. We've brought like the most to the show. Um, Gretchen, I think, was the first time I thought, oh, why is, you know, Gretchen not coming back? Because I actually did think that she was, you know, quite entertaining and brought a lot. And the the whole thing ar- at that time was that they felt like she was sort of producing herself too much or, or faking it for the cameras or something. Can you give any insight on that? Yeah. I mean, obviously can't speak for the producers or anything, but I'll, but, yeah. I, but it, a general statement I will make is, is that, you know, the audience has a, can I curse? Oh uh, yeah. Say right, whatever. The audience has a bullshit. C bombs. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. Um, <laughs> no, but the audience has a bullshit meter and they just know when it's not real. When you're trying to create content, all right, we'll do this and hilarity will ensue. I will do that. It'll be so dramatic. Like you you can't do that. The audience doesn't buy it. It's not authentic. It doesn't work. So I would agree with the fact that if someone felt pre-produced that they would probably get rid of them. Terry and I were surprised. I actually, I think I said to Terry after the reunion, I said, "I, I think she won't come back. And Terry said, no way. They will never let her go. And then she didn't come back. But I think, um, I mean, I like Gretchen. And I thought she brought a lot to the show too. And I think she had more story there. But, you know, I think sometimes you have to shake things up and move people around. That's what keeps it fresh. Yeah. Well, you were also on the show from the very beginning to the very end of the whole Brooks saga. Mm. And I wonder, what was it like to experience that in real time? And I guess it's a two-part question. And also when it got really dark, was there sort of a a moment that you felt like, you know, I don't want to be associated with this because now I'm on a show that has gotten so... I mean, that's a full-on storyline that, you know, Brooks, the whole cancer situation, everything. Yeah. I never worried about that. No one's ever asked me that. I never worried about that with Brooks and that whole storyline because it had nothing to do with me. And honestly, I think things like this happen all the time. I mean, you hear about people that have GoFundMe pages that aren't really sick. You know what I'm saying? So Yeah, he's the original Dirty John, people say. Yeah. By the way, you you could say that. And and seeing it firsthand when you could see like the way he was behaving and then when you would hear the truths about things. And I mean, we would all be texting each other 
sidebar, you know, like Megan would text me, I would text Tamara, she would text this and be like, it, did he really just say, wait, what, what is going, but he said he had a what scan and he, and we're, so I was never worried about how that would affect me. I actually was, I, um, it was fascinating in a bad way. Yep. And then I felt so bad because, you know, Shannon tried to help him so much and all these things. And they never wanted me and Terry around because, you know, they didn't well, want you, you to know. talk to a doctor <laughs> about anything because Terry would go, huh, what? But he didn't want any part of that. So, yeah, yeah but it's, watching it in real time, it was just so crazy. And honestly, you know... What do you want to know? What I think my theory is on the whole thing. I mean, I think yes, I don't know if I said it before, but I, I think my theory because I really I care about Vicky a lot, and I don't think she's a bad person, and I don't think she would knowingly say, "Oh, go fake cancer." This will be a great storyline. I don't believe that for a second. In my mind's eye, what I see is that he fooled her, and he had her believe all this. And she got in so deep, and then when she realized what was going on, couldn't get out of it. Yeah, and I think that's actually really common. I was watching a documentary recently, I think it's called Love Fraud or Love Scam or something about this guy that was scamming all these sort of lonely middle-aged women, and he was like such a dirty John Brooks type and taking all this money from them and everything, and they just get so manipulated and they get in so deep and then it's almost like even if they know something's wrong they kind of don't want to admit it to themselves because it's like then they have to acknowledge that they've wasted time and money and emotion and everything and it's just too hard to get out of no and she kept getting herself into like she would say things and like we would be like why aren't you going to his appointments with him and she was like oh because you know he doesn't want me to and we're like but someone always has to be there to listen because you always need a second person she's like oh yeah if, she goes oh no it's fine you know he, he has a notebook there's a binder there was like there always this smoking gun of this binder that was color coded there was never a binder there was it was like yeah. such easy <laughs> stuff to prove like don't say that say something else yeah but that's why i really feel like she was betwixt in between and i think he and she loved him i mean vicky when she falls she falls hard and i think she loved this guy so much and wanted love so much and wanted him to be perfect and it, you know, I don't think yeah. she knew until it was too late. Well, you know, I'm always really interested in the mechanics of the show, and some people kind of compare it to like Friendship Survivor. Is that <laughs> how you felt? Because I remember there's one season, I don't remember which one exactly, and it was like right at the start of the season, everybody suddenly kept calling you out as being like condescending and pretentious, and you were still speaking how you've always spoken, and it was kind of like you couldn't do one thing right, like the plumeria tree or the wine. And to me, watching it, it felt contrived because I felt like, well, Heather's always been Heather, and now all of a sudden it's everyone's like honing in on it. And did you feel maybe at that time that it was like your turn to be in the hot seat. So did I feel targeted? I mean, yeah, I guess so. Probably. But, um, look, you can film someone for a whole year and make two different movies of them. You can make, show all the nice things and make them a hero or show all the douchey things and make them look horrible. And I'm all of it. You know what I mean? I've got good moments, douchey moments. Maybe I sound pretentious sometimes. It's not my intention, but yeah, I mean, making a big deal about the, 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 how cold a bottle of wine is. I mean, honestly, if I sat around with my friends and I said, so 
what is it? Is it 58 degrees? Is it 56 degrees? Like we'd laugh about it and be like, yeah, but Terry likes it cold. So sometimes we put it in the refrigerator. It would be a stupid conversation about wine. And then someone would pick up their phone and Google it. And we'd go, oh yeah, it's 57. And that would be the end of it. But that's not what happens in reality television. <laughs> I it's think, just people just yeah, it was the season Shannon came on and it was a really bad season for me. Oh. And the, the, Part of the thing about doing a show like that is that you don't understand anything else that's going on. You only know what's going on with you and the people you're talking to. So then when you end up seeing it all together and the audience is like, why would you do that? When you, when this person was going through that, you're like, I didn't know. Yeah. So it's hard, you know, for every 30 hours we film, 20 minutes makes it to the air. And so like, if you're sitting at a dinner party and we're having a conversation for three hours, there may be like five minutes of conversation that were very important to me that pissed me off or irritated me. And this is informing my next four comments, but that didn't make it to the, to the air, not because anyone's messing with me, but because that's not the story they're telling or it wasn't important to them for the, the, the part of the dinner. Does that make sense? Yeah. How often do you, when you're in a scene, do you want to stop filming? Because we all saw the sort of behind the scenes of the sushi night where you left. And then we also saw on, I don't know if you watched Beverly Hills, but it was sort of, it went viral. Denise Richards saying, bravo, 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 stop. Is that a common thing? No. So at the time, um, by the way, I mean, I've done many, many television shows. I have never walked off a set. I have never taken my microphone off. I have never done that ever until that night. But to your, your earlier question about being associated with the show because of Brooks, definitely not, didn't care. But when we walked into that restaurant that night, um, that was, so, you know, my, my, uh, late brother-in-law, uh, Kevin Dubrow was the lead singer of Quiet Riot. And the last time we saw him alive was at that restaurant. Um, we had dinner there. The two of them got into a fight, Terry and Kevin, they had a tumultuous, relationship. And usually I get them back together after a period of time, but unfortunately he passed away before I could make that happen. And it was close. I really think it was happening, but it didn't happen. So I kind of like, didn't really, I was feeling like kind of mm, going in there anyway. And then on the way in, cause we had a private room in the back. Um, I ran into our friends who were sitting there with their kids. All right. It's like a family restaurant. So we're sitting in the back and paper thin, you know, Japanese, you know, sliding walls and all that. And when all that started happening and Kelly started yelling the C word, it's not like I have never heard the C word before. And I'm such a shrinking violet that I can't handle it. Not at all. It was that it was just so weirdly violent and inappropriate. And we're in this family restaurant and I'm like, and it just kept going on and on and on. And I, I just, I couldn't take it. And I was like, I, this is not the show we're on. This is, we've never been this show fight, whatever, get fine. But this, this crass behavior, this, I don't want my kids to see this. I don't want my kids to see a clip of this. This is terrible. We're all mothers. And, um, I just was not down for it. And I remember I took off my microphone and I went over to Video Village and I was like, this is not our show. We, we, we're not doing this show. This is, I no, we're better than this. Yeah. And we could see even by your reaction afterwards, when you're upset uh, on the drive home, that it obviously had triggered something. Cause as you said, that there was a connection to it with Terry's brother and everything. So it must've just been really it, emotional. It was an emotional night, but I remember people saying, oh, you're so ridiculous crying on the way home. Cause she said the C word. I'm like, 
It's not why I'm crying. Yep. So I want to ask you about this Kelly stuff. And I don't know if you've seen on the blogs or the headlines, there's kind of like a, a boycott of the Real Housewives of Orange County at the moment. Um, a lot of it around is around Kelly Dodd because of her behavior. I did, I sort of went on a rant on last week's show because I sort of felt like a lot of the people boycotting the show were being a bit hypocritical because I just felt like, well, there's been problematic behavior on Bravo and from Kelly Dodd and everything. And now you're all, you're all choosing now to boycott it when it's been fine for all these years. But the thing that I can say about you, you are absolutely not a hypocrite because you had issues with Kelly from day one. You called it out on camera, um, you know, in Ireland. You uh, There was a, a clip that came out of Kelly, uh, I, th- I think filmed before she was on OC, making some, um, you know, racially insensitive comments. You called that out um, and said that you didn't want to be associated with it. So you're kind of like patient zero <laughs> with the Kelly Dodd stuff. And I want to just get your take on it. And also, do you feel vindicated? Because at the time you really did cop it on social media as in like you were some people treating you like you were being too sensitive and now it's like, look how the tables have turned all these years later. Yeah. I've gotten a lot of messages. Um, Well, here's the thing. I mean, when it comes to, I don't feel vindicated. I don't, cause I don't care. I, you know, I, I just don't, she's not in my world. I don't harbor any ill will. I don't want to be friends, but I don't, I have, I have just nothing, but you know, I think that in these days and times, because you're talking about the boycott, which I don't yeah. know about, but um, in these days and times, if you don't believe in the Black Lives Matter movement, if you're going to be against this, if you're not going to understand where we are in our world today and what humans need, you're not human. And I think in those circumstances, you can understand why someone would be canceled. You know what I mean? I'm not a big fan of cancel culture because I think we have to be careful with it because, you know, you don't want to start throwing wider nets and wider nets and accusations lead to good people getting hurt. But when it's so obvious and and things are so obvious, as we've seen over the last several months, there's no, there, there's not a gray area. When someone is behaving in a certain way, they get canceled. This is... um. This is not uncommon. So if that's the reason that all of a sudden, you know, their audience is feeling that way, I understand that, don't you? Yeah, no, of course. I just found it really interesting because you did really cop a lot at that time. You know, a a large portion of the audience is saying what you were saying these like five years ago or something. So it's kind of like everyone caught up to where you were and probably seeing you in a very different light now. Well, remember what I said before, for every 30 hours we film, 20 minutes makes it to the air. So you can imagine there were lots of conversations and lots of time spent, all of us together. And, you know, you learn a lot about people. And so sometimes when you see someone's, like I was saying earlier, when you see someone's reaction to someone and you think, what is wrong with them? It's not that bad. Relax. You just don't know everything that's going on because they can't tell every story. Again, I'm not saying bad editing, nothing like that. It's all very real, but you can't tell every story. You must feel you must feel similar about Shannon too because you you copped it from the Shannon fans and I when I interviewed Tamara the other week I said to her you know that scene where you the famous scene where you had the fight with Shannon and you threw her out I'm like I would have thrown her out of my house too she's completely irrational and we've seen that now in the seasons that have gone on um 
some of her behavior. And I just think it's funny that not just Kelly, but I guess with Shannon too, that I don't know, I just, I do feel like you've sort of been vindicated in some way as more of their colors have come out over the years. I guess. I mean, you know, had I known what was going on, I mean, I, I maybe would I have acted differently? Maybe. Um, but I, I didn't want to be involved in the situation. And I inadvertently you, got myself involved in the situation. Did you know that, like, I think about a week ago, Kelly was filming your house on Instagram? Someone sent Did that I- to me. <laughs> what was that about? By the way, what I thought was so funny. So you saw it, obviously. Yeah, I was watching it in real time. I died. I'm like, oh my God, all these years later. So I saw, I don't know how much she did, but I saw one clip that a couple of people sent me. She was saying it was the house that she was like, the house that, you know, we I'm not allowed in or that no one's allowed to see or something. But then she was saying nice things about you. She was like, I don't have anything against Heather. So <laughs> I don't know. Well, if she wants to see the house, there's like a full house tour on my YouTube channel. You could see every nook and cranny. Yeah, well, you know, I um, I wanted to ask you about the house thing. Uh, when you when you left the show, everyone had been like, the the expectation was the following season we would have seen your house, and then we didn't see it. <laughs> was that kind of like your fuck you to, to no, Bravo? Like, no. I'm saving the house. No, not at all. <laughs> no, to be honest with you, that last season, um, you know, the thing about reality is you have to be willing to be in it a hundred percent or it doesn't work. It's the same with the authenticity thing we had talked about. And, you know, when they brought Kelly on, it changed things for me. And so that last year for me, I wasn't the same person. I, I was more closed off. I was worried about, um, you know, what I was saying. I didn't want to be as accessible as I usually was. And that, and I didn't do it on purpose. It was just, I didn't realize I was doing it. You know, it was just happening. We went on a vacation and they wanted to come with us. And I went, and Terry was on botched and he was busy and, and tired. And he was over housewives and didn't want to film. And so he came to very little. So I was always doing it on my own. And then, you know, we only filmed for a couple of days. I mean, honestly, I was done. They realized I was done. It was a very symbiotic moment, but there was never any like, I'm not showing you my house. And we we filmed a lot there. And had yeah. we come back the following season, we would have shown the whole house for sure. Yeah. Obviously. Well, I meant it in a positive, by the way. Oh, <laughs> like no. I just was like a boss move, you know, because I felt like you, you were so good on the show and, um, and, you know, your house was such a big thing. And obviously we've seen you, you've done it on YouTube now and they have like millions of views, the house tour. It's crazy. You know, post uh, post Housewives, you have been really successful um, in a way that I think a lot of, I guess, I mean, it's not like your claim to fame is reality TV. You did a lot before, but in a way that a lot of former reality stars haven't been able to do. I mean, you've got the diet, the Dubrow diet books. Um, you've got the skincare line on Evine. Obviously the podcast with 100 hundred million downloads is just that's like that's a like that's huge <laughs> you know even your like social media because I guess you know me working in media I pay attention to all this stuff like what's their engagement what are they doing mm-hmm. you know how relevant are they still doing and you're like really up there um I guess how have you been able to do that because I I feel like you have been able to sort of brand yourself as like Heather Dubrow not former housewife Heather yeah. So how have you done that? Thank you for saying that. Um, you know, at first when I left the show, I I was very I very much wanted to distance myself. Now, 
I feel better. I, I'm fine with it. Now I'm totally fine. Like I like talking about it. Now it's like something I did. But at the time when I left the show, it was what defined me. No one remembered that I was Heather Page Kent and I had all these, you know, shows and things and whatever. I was, I'm now Heather Dubrow, the Real Housewives of Orange County. And it, it bothered me that that would be my defining thing. And, and maybe that was silly to feel that way, but I did for whatever reason at the time. And so when I started the podcast, again, it allowed me to take, you know, my narrative back and allowed me to be just me and, and see where I could take it. And Terry and I are very lucky. We have a great brand together and we love working together. And that's, that's what we do. It's like some people, couples hike and some, you know, play golf. We like to work. So we, we've written three books together. We've been on Shop HQ. It's, it used to be Evine. It's now called Shop HQ for oh, five I- years with our uh, skincare and our supplement, which is great. And um, we're launching some other new companies um, for the shopping channel also that we're really excited about. The YouTube channel has been fun, but I also have, and I still, you know, like I, I you know, I do other hosting gigs and, and that kind of stuff. And I'm always pitching TV shows. You know, we had a, a show recently that, you know, we're waiting to hear about. We had one that didn't get picked up. We had one that, you know, it takes forever. And, you know, you go through these machinations to see what happens, but I love the creative process and I love creating content. With all of that, I also have four children. So I'm raising the four kids. I mean, Terry's here too. I don't want to, I don't want to be rude about it, but, <laughs> but what I'm saying is even though I have help around, I don't have legions of nannies taking care of my children while I'm, you know, sipping champagne by the pool. That would be nice for a day. I, like to admit, but you know, they need me uh, in different stages now more than ever. And my twins are turning 17 this month. I can't believe it. And they're juniors in high school. So I, I, there's a limited amount of time left with them, you know, in this way, then we'll have a different relationship when they go to college and, and beyond and all that. And I'm excited for them, for all the kids. You know, I always say my thing is to create independent, healthy, functioning humans and I'm doing my best, not always perfect, but doing my best. And I, you know, knock on wood, cause I don't want things everyone, every time you say something good about the kids, like everything goes to shit and we have dinner tonight <laughs> and I don't want to have a bad time, but, um, I'm really enjoying my relationship with each of them and lockdown, you know, sort of put everything on its ear. And we, and there were a lot of really good things that came out of it though. So I'm really great. Max came out. I actually got a lot of questions about that. You know, how's that going? Cause people are really, um, are really happy to see how you handled it and that she's been so open about it. And she's got a podcast now too. Yeah. She's got a podcast called I'll give it to you straight ish. And <laughs> it's such a great it's title. It's her title. And um, yeah, I'm so proud of her. I'm proud of all of them, but you know, I had known this for a while. We had talked about it for a while, but she told me I was literally walking to the house. Like I had my purse over my arm and, and she goes, did you see my post? And I was like, no, would you post? And so I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. And I said, can I repost that? And she was like, sure. And I go, wait, think about it for a second. Because if I reposted, it it might like become a thing. It could go viral, you know, whatever. And she didn't even hesitate for a second. She was ready. She was ready. And she goes, no, 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 go ahead. The only thing she was worried about is, was I going to write a lame caption, to be honest with you? (laughs) So um, I reposted it. And then the dog started barking and I put my purse down and I forgot. And while I was forgetting and handling the dogs and getting dinner together and whatever, it kind of went viral. And I had not told my mother or my sister or anyone. And then they heard like through people magazine. So that was a mistake. 
And you're in talks, like, uh, I think I saw somewhere that you're maybe in talks to come back with, like, a some kind of, like, family-type reality show or something. Can you give any hints on that? Well, there's definitely, those conversations are definitely be floating around. And if there was ever a time for us to be doing something like that, I'll tell you, it would be now. I think that when we got off Housewives, it was kind of the exact right time for the entire family for different reasons, but for the children in general, you know, an awkward time and a time where they needed their privacy. You know, when kids are little and they're just running through this, it's fine. You pat them on the head, they keep going. It's not a thing. But at some point, it's they have to have a say in how they're portrayed, how they're seen, if they even want to be on it um, or on a show of any kind. So I'll tell you that I would think if something like that were to happen, this would probably be about the time. What kind of net? What kind of network would it be on? If a hypothetical, I think a hypothetical <laughs> network would be maybe someone we've worked with before. Oh, okay, that's juicy. Um, you know, I wonder about just the business side again because I am really interested in all your business and your branding. Like when you go in for a meeting about doing a show, like will you? would you present to them, say, like your podcast numbers, yeah. which are huge? Because it shows like how much interest there still is in your family and your life. Yeah. Well, hell yes. I use everything I can. <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> I have like Nielsen metrics ratings on my podcast. I know exactly who our audience is. I know they're, I know that it's, I have 90% women. I know that uh, where the cities they come from and the countries, by the way, the countries outside of the States, it's Australia. Oh. And it's it's um, England, specifically London and Ireland. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And so um, I fully go in with an arsenal of everything that I possibly have because I think that, well, first of all, you know, I love doing television. I've been doing television since I was 21. And I, I, it's, you know, fish got to swim. You know, of course, I want to be back on television. Not to be famous, by the way. I That really has never meant that much to me. Um, Terry, we laugh that he's a fame whore because he is, yeah. and he loves it. He <laughs> loves every second of it. I mean, it's nice to be recognized for your work, but one of the things that always bother me about reality television is that you're not. I, I felt like you like I like your house, or I like your your kids are cute, or whatever. But when you're known for creating content, now it's more of a known for your talent, right? So, yeah, and that that means something to me. So the way I've been able to connect with everyone on the podcast is very special to me. So like when people come up to me, I'm, by the way, I'm happy if anyone wants to say something nice to me. If you want to, if you're a huge Orange County fan, please tell me if you hated that. I told Shannon to sit in the other chair. It's fine. Just come tell me I didn't turn up the bull. Okay. Let's just have all the conversations and say something nice. You didn't wait. You didn't turn up the bull. You didn't. Cause that, you know, that went viral the other day again. I did turned up the bull. Yes. Yeah. I didn't turn up the bull. Okay. By the way, I'm not stupid. If I had turned up the bull and told the guy to turn up the bull, do you think two hours later after I'm drinking, I would have been like, I don't know what happened. Like, I <laughs> I wouldn't have said that. I would have said, oh, my God. I told them to do- it was a joke. They made you look like a serial killer or something. I know. Come that. <laughs> on. It was supposed to be a joke, like telling the truth, because I went first. And when I went first... It gets very fast, very quickly. I'd never been on a mechanical bull, and I thought someone had done that to me. And so, anyway, I didn't. Of course not. By the way, I'm like safety girl. (laughs) But anyway, so when I go into a meeting, yeah, I I bring all my metrics. I tell them exactly like how many people I have listening to my show because I'm dragging people to podcasts and dragging people to YouTube where I still will run into people and they'll come up to me and say, oh, I miss you. I go, you should listen to my podcast. They go, you have a podcast? 
I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to do better advertising. I got to figure something else out so that I can, you know, make my reach bigger. But I feel like that audience all watches television. So, you know, the hunt is always on to figure out how to, you know, sort of translate that back onto TV. And I don't know the answer yet, but I'm working on it. Yeah, well, I'm so excited to to see that and see what happens. Um, thank you so much for for coming on my show, everyone. Go check out Heather's podcast, Heather DeBro's World on Podcast One. It's all about your life. You don't do so much like Housewives. You do just all about your life and your kids, and you have amazing guests. You had Dr. Drew on. I would kill to interview Dr. Drew. I'm obsessed with him. you. Are uh, oh, yeah, I love. You know what? Him. Maybe I can maybe I can work that out for you. He's a good friend of ours. Oh my God. I would die if you did that. Yeah. Let me, um, <laughs> you message me later and we'll, and we'll okay. try to make that happen. Um, I yeah, love he's you. fabulous. You know, the, the show really morphed in the last year and it used to, all, I had used to have very few guests. Now, um, I, I do have guests, but I've really listened to the audience this year about what they're loving and what they want more of. So I'm actually adding a, we, I do it two days a week and I'm actually adding a third show for 2021. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so well, that's a big sign of success. Like the more shows you have, the, the bigger you are. So, Well, thank you. I mean, I hope so. It seems to be what people want. And that way I can really sort of section it into what people are asking for, which is one show of, I used to do a segment called Dear Heather, like Dear Abby, where I'd answer questions. And so I, we're going to bring that back in a version for a show. And then I think another one of the shows is going to be rotating my stable of people that that usually come in and out that the audience really likes. And then the third day a week will be like a cool guest. And that way everyone gets a little bit of everything. Yeah. Oh, and one thing, I know it's tacky to talk about money, but I'm just wondering like the the podcast, is it, do you find it really lucrative or is it more about having a platform to reach people? I didn't start it to make money. Um, I would tell you quite frankly, I mean, it does well and I make a nice salary from it. But truthfully, could I monetize it better? Yes. But I think the thing with me is that if I ha- if I was just doing one thing, I think I would be able to take it farther. I Maybe it's a mistake. I don't know. But I end up doing lots of things and take them as far as they can go. But I don't just focus on the one thing. I think if I only did the podcast, maybe... I don't know. I could take it to the next level, do it five days a week, get different kinds of, you know, I don't know who knows what I could do with it, but I just love all the different variety of everything that I do and always looking for new ways to stay current and new ways to stay excited about it myself. Cause that's what it is about. And yeah, it's a platform. Of course I want to stay relevant, but I really, as you can tell, I love talking and I love um, learning and I love teaching. So for me, it's like the most perfect relationship. The only thing I wish is that I could interact with the audience more. That's like where I'm trying to get to because I, I love the messages and I love when I see people out and about, but I wish I could make it more interactive. That's what I have to figure out. That's the next step. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, go and subscribe to Heather DeBro's World now. It is amazing. And thank you so much, Heather. Thank you so much. And you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. You are fabulous. Thank you so much for having me on. It was really a pleasure. That's a wrap, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to follow me on social media, get me on Pop Inc. Pod. I'm on Instagram. I post memes there and chat to everybody. Also, if you would like to support the show, you can buy me an iced coffee. Go over to my Buy Me A Coffee page. It's just buymeacoffee.com slash Pop Inc. Pod.
I also post bonus content from the shows there. So uh, this week I have um, some leftover stuff from the Heather interview. She talks more about Chateau de Bro and uh, gives people an insight into her house and her renovations and how she decorated it. It's not behind a paywall or anything, so it's free to access. So that's buymeacoffee.com slash popinkpod. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe and review over at iTunes and I'll see you next week.